0: So, earlier this year, Pastor Cole um, sent me an article that he found super interesting and I did it as well. It, it was about this woman in Oregon who uh, did not realize that there was something for her that really would have helped her. You see, this, uh, this lady didn't know until after her death, which she obviously wouldn't know, but they didn't really realize uh, that she had quite the inheritance. Uh, It it was such a fascinating story that I began to do a little bit of research and I found out that I guess it's estimated that one in seven Americans have an unclaimed inheritance, some sort of property or asset or something out there. So by the way, which we all need to do, this is a promise, this is sort of a binding agreement, we're all going to check and see if we have anything, right? And if you do, just remember Pastor Aaron, uh, when you find out that you have millions uh, I'm just kidding, but it, it is true that I guess there's one in seven Americans have some sort of maybe it's a, a random distant relative who they used to get a Christmas card from years ago who decided to leave little Billy in their will. But there's this woman who has this tragic story. She was a woman who dealt with um, substance abuse and mental health issues, uh, but she ended up dying in January of 2020 in a warming shelter, like a one that's set up when it's super cold. Um, in, in, in Oregon. And it was found out after her death that she actually had an unclaimed inheritance of a little less than a million dollars. And it's wild, right, that there could be someone who is going through so much brokenness and despair, um, homeless, penniless, um, could die and never realize that there was these riches that could quite literally change their life right at their grasp. In the season of Advent, we've been in this series called, Go Tell It, um, Unopened Gifts of Grace, and, and, and when Pastor Cole told that story, it made me think a little bit about this reality of our world, that, that part of the good news of Jesus Christ, part of the reason why we are called as his followers to go and tell people about it, is that there is this reality that there are so many people in our life, in our families, in our sphere of influences who quite literally are living a life where they do not realize that there is an inheritance worth so much in this life and the next that they have yet to claim. And part of being a person of love, being a person changed by Jesus, is to feel the sense of desire and push and pull to actually go tell people about this, to let them know that they no longer need to be wandering in darkness, They no longer need to feel as if they have no home that their father has left them quite the amazing inheritance and there's so many people who do not know that they have an unclaimed inheritance because of Jesus and if you miss anything else this morning I hope you hear first of all that it's for you and second of all that there's probably someone in your life who you need to go tell it to who you recognize are living a life of despair Goodness gracious! How much it would change them if they could finally know about this. This morning, as we wrap up our Advent series, uh, we're talking about the uh, gift of love, and oftentimes the unopened gift of love. Now, love is a fun topic, right? Because when we read Scripture and we see the word love in our language, right? We we use love for so many things, right? I I love my wife, and I love the Detroit Lions. Uh, I, I love Taco Bell and I love my dog, all very different things. In fact, the relationship with Taco Bell is kind of an abusive relationship in many ways. But the love that we most oftentimes refer to and in, in, in really this gift of love that we get in the Christmas season is this love that we call agape love. Agape love is unconditional love. It's sacrificial in nature. It's pure and selfless. And it comes from God, it's it's this love that is not something that we can manufacture and manifest ourselves. It only comes from a deep sense of abiding, close relationship with Christ. It is this gift that He gives us to give out to others. And so this morning, I I want us to talk about love, and I want us to talk about um, four things that love, uh, how we kind of know what love looks like and what love does. but I'm, I, I, I want to put out the very obvious thing at the forefront, because it is his birthday eve, that if you want to know what love is and love does, um, you just simply look at Jesus. Part of the reason why reading Scripture, and in particular the Gospels, is so important is Jesus is our model. He is our, our, our master, our sensei, whatever you would want to call it. But if we want to know what it actually looks like to live a life of wholeness, a a life that is marked by hope and peace and joy and love, we we look at the life and the teaching and the example of Jesus. And so uh, this morning, I'm not going to take a ton of your time, but I'd like to talk a little bit about um, four things that love typically does in terms of an agape love. The first thing is this, love shows up. Love shows up. We've, we've talked about it before, right? Oftentimes it's said that when you are a parent, the way that you spell love is T-I-M-E, right? It's time. It's, it's your presence. It's, it's the love. And it is the same thing. It's hard to say that you have a sense of love for someone if there's not a sense of presence in their life. In in the whole story of Christmas, I love the way uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time in the Gospel of John today, but I love the way that the Gospel of John tells the Christmas story. It doesn't tell the nativity story, but it tells the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus when it says this, the word, which is code word for Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. I always love this verse because what I, what I think about is the fact that um, Jesus decided to move into the neighborhood. Now, the, the last year or so on and off, my, my wife and I have, have looked at various different houses trying to think about eventually maybe moving a little bit closer to Western school district. That's where where oldest goes and be close to church and things like that. And, and let's be honest, there are certain neighborhoods that you're like, oh man, that would be sweet to live in. It's in our dreams, right? But it's not going to happen. And then there are certain neighborhoods where you're like, "Mm mm-mm, no, sir. If I'm honest, there's part of me that the Christmas story, what is incredible about God's love is the fact that he saw our neighborhood, he saw us, and it ain't that pretty all the time. There's a lot of stuff where I'm like 10 out of 10 would not recommend. But he still chose to come and make his dwelling place among us. And why does he do that? Because he loves us. Love shows up. Here's the second thing. Love doesn't hold back. Love doesn't hold back. We, we live in a world where uh, oftentimes, I, I think if we're honest, we do not like to lay down all our cards. I find people in long-term relationships, marriages, things like that, where there are things that are held back. There are secrets. There are unknown bank accounts. There is an exit plan in place. If you're one of those people who has that, do not look over to your spouse or significant other right now. It's a bad idea. Might ruin Christmas. We can talk together later, okay? But love doesn't hold back. Love doesn't say like, ooh, let me make sure I have enough for me. Love is not the thing where uh, they're, they're trying to make sure that I got mine taken care of. Love doesn't hold back. Love is fully open-handed. It's why we, we have like the most famous verse of all time, right? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Now think about this. This is what, what's wild sometimes. I, I, I was thinking about this uh, recently. God, the most powerful thing ever, right? I, I'm trying to pretend that I understand him fully, but... One of the awesome things about how big and powerful and mysterious God is, is the fact that I can't fully understand him. But if he can do whatever he wants, he only makes one son. Like how easy would it have been to be like, I'm going to make two, that way I have a backup just in case. But he sends his one and only son. And he says this, Whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's love not holding back. I mean, again, I oftentimes think about God could have done anything. He could have been like, bam, it's done. But he recognized that love is a costly thing. Love is something that we can't hold back. Love is something that we have to freely, openly give. And love's got to cost something. Here's the third thing. Love looks To the interest of others love looks to the interest of others i don't know about you but i can be fairly selfish christmas time is one of those times of the year if i'm really honest where i think i'm not selfish and i always start off with this is just me being vulnerable for a minute i always start off with like i don't want anything and then anyone ever get into like the amazon rabbit trail of like i want everything because at first you're like, there's nothing I really want. And then you're like, well, I guess people are going to buy me gifts. So I better find out things that I want. And then you start realizing, like, oh my goodness, there's more things I wanted than I realized, which is terrible. And now I want them. And now I'm the one hiding Amazon packages. <laughs> Don't look. Could be a present for you. But love looks to the interest of others. The most famous um, wedding verse of all time, which has nothing to do with romantic love, uh, comes from First Corinthians chapter 13, right? And, and this is what it says. This, this kind of gives a, a larger scale of what love, agape love, is. And in particular, it, I love it because it's such an um, a invitation to recognize that love is not about me. It is about others. And this is what it says. Love is patient, I love that verse because it gives us a template of how difficult it is to love people. Especially in the holidays, right? We get around our, 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 our friends and families, our in laws. Again, don't look, don't make eye contact with anyone right now. But man, sometimes it's hard to be patient. Sometimes I'm not that kind. When I see myself opening a flashlight and my brother-in-law got new shoes, I feel a little envious. But this model, one of the things I love to do when I read this verse sometimes is to replace the word love with Jesus. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. He, he does not boast. He is not proud. He does not dishonor others. He's not self-seeking. He is not easily angered. He keeps no records of right or wrongs. Thank you, Jesus. He does not delight in evil, but he rejoices in truth. He always protects you. He always is trustworthy. He always gives us hope. And because of him, we can always persevere. Jesus never fails. And the most awesome thing about love and Jesus is the fact that he didn't hold back from us and He looked to the interest of us. You know, when we think about Him coming as this little baby, I oftentimes get this reflection um, uh, uh, of eventually the the Passion, Holy Week, the the week leading up to Easter, and I I think about Him in the garden. And you think about it, right? He would have came into this world weeping as a baby. And if you remember in the garden, he, he, He is Uh, wrestling with the realities of the cross of his sacrifice of not holding back of not looking to his own interests and there's there's so much of him he cries out to his father even saying if it is so far possible for you to take this cup from me that'd be cool man that's my translation but he says in the end not my will be done but yours And obviously, we know the story goes on, right? He goes to the cross. He dies for our sins. We have new life because of it. And on the third day, he rises again in victory over death. And it all has to do with the fact that he showed up and he didn't hold back and he was willing to look at the interests of others. And here's the the final thing that loved us love does whatever it takes. Love does whatever it takes. It's not, it is like a a mother at Christmas time who forgets that there's such thing as a budget, right? Love does whatever it takes because ultimately love's most great desire is for there to be unity and wholeness. I love this quote from a book called Love Does by Bob Goff. It's one of my favorite books ever. It's one we oftentimes give out to graduating seniors as they head off into the world. And it's an awesome short read um, that really will inspire you to want to be a person of love. But one of my favorite quotes in it um, from the author named Bob is this. He says, what love does. Oh, wow. I wanted you guys to really zoom in on this. Uh, Listen, I'm trying a new software, okay? Oh, um, I'll read it for you in case you didn't bring your microscope Or uh, it says this what love does it pursues blindly unflinchingly and without end when you go after something you love you'll do whatever it takes to get it even if it costs everything and man is that true If you've ever been in love before, you've done stupid things, haven't you? And when I think about the good news of Jesus Christ, when I think about the story of all of Scripture, man, there's part of me that still looks and like, God, you're dumb. Don't hit me. Because to risk everything, to show up, to come to this neighborhood, to these people, Man, that's real love. It's not holding back, it's doing it for nothing other than to just be with us. Now in the Gospel of John, Jesus said this to his followers. This is is one of the kind of last things he he tells them uh, before eventually going to the cross. He says this, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. It's not enough to open the gifts, receive the love. We gotta go share it. We gotta go tell it. And here's the thing I worry about. I worry that people don't know about the love of Christ because they haven't heard it, seen it, or felt it. And the reason they haven't heard it or seen it or felt it oftentimes is that those of us who would proclaim we've already opened the gift are not really sharing it. Our life doesn't reflect something that has changed. Our life doesn't look like, um, look like we actually believe in the gospel at times. Myself included, by the way. There should be something about the words of Jesus that really pushes us to say, in the same way that Jesus loved me, in the way that he showed up for me, in the way that he didn't hold back from me, in the way that he looked at the interest of me and others rather than himself, that is the way that I should love. I should do it and do whatever it takes for it. Around here at South Creek, we, we, we have this saying um, that's a little bit of our identity, which is just this, loved people, love people that in the same way that you've heard the adage of hurt people hurt people which is very true we truly believe that if you have experienced the love of jesus christ that you should love people and you should love people with this reckless wild and extravagant love that we find from our savior because to be honest in a world that feels dark and dim and hopeless and and full of conflict at times I think the best way for people to know that there is hope and that there is something to be joyful about, that they can experience peace and that love is a real thing is for them to encounter Jesus when they encounter you. That we should truly take uh, this idea of loving others when Jesus said, like, here's the big two basics, love God and love others. If we could just nail those two things, our world would be in a much better place. I want to tell uh, one last story uh, as we kind of wrap things up, and and, and don't worry, we're going to get the candles out in a minute. Don't worry, I haven't forgotten. But There's a story in the Old Testament that is one of my favorite stories. Jesus is oftentimes um, compared to um, king David. And King David and him come from the same family tree. And uh, King David, if you remember his story, he is this shepherd boy who, you know, takes a sling and defeats David. He becomes this mighty warrior, this mighty king. And he had this weird relationship with uh, uh, one of his father-in-laws, which is weird to say that he had multiple, um, named Saul, who used to be the king. And, and he had a son named Jonathan. And Jonathan and David were besties, and then as there was conflict in their life, eventually that relationship kind of fizzled. Well, David one day, um, this is after Jonathan is, is gone and passed, um, has this thought from the Lord that he wants to do something to bless and love his friend Jonathan's family. And so he, 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 he has his, his people go out and he wants to find out, is there any living relative left? And they find one whose name is Mephibosheth. What a beautiful name, right? If anyone is gonna get pregnant soon, there you, there you go. There's a great name uh, that you could have. In uh, Mephibosheth, the interesting part of his story is that um, when there was a changing of, of, of kind of the power of um, from, from, from Saul and Jonathan's reign to David's reign, uh, Mephibosheth tragically um, was dropped a, a, as a child as they were trying to escape and it left um, Mephibosheth as a cripple. And and in that ancient culture, you've got to think about someone who uh, is from the former regime, not doing great, and if you add in the fact that it's someone who would have had some sort of physical ailment, um, Mephibosheth likely did not have an awesome life. Most scholars believe there's probably a high likelihood he may have been a beggar. But David had had, had said, "I, I want to bless someone, and so they went out, And they found Mephibosheth, and they brought him to the table. And uh, they they placed him at the king's table, and they said to him, listen, we know there's brokenness in your life. We know that you uh, maybe feel like you were lost and abandoned, but we want you to know that because of who your father is, for the rest of your life, you are invited to the king's table. And you will eat what the king eats. And you will be with the king in his presence. It's one of my favorite stories of the Old Testament because it's this beautiful picture of the gospel and of love. That every single one of us have brokenness in our life. Every single one of us in some ways could probably feel a little bit like Mephibosheth. Like a broken beggar. And yet nothing that we did, nothing we could do, nothing we could deserve got us his a seat at the table. What got us there is our Father. And the awesome thing is Jesus came into this world and he died on a cross for you and for me. And he didn't do it because of anything that you could do, anything you could deserve, anything you could earn. But he did it Because he loves your Heavenly Father. Because of that, you are invited to receive the gift of an inheritance that nothing in this world could be worth more than. Nothing in this world can take away from you. And the story of Mephibosheth actually gets even more beautiful. Because tragically, Mephibosheth would, would ultimately betray David. He would ultimately turn his back on him. And the beautiful part of the story is that David continued to honor his promise and continued to extend grace to Mephibosheth to the end of his life. And so this morning, maybe some of you, for the first time, need to come to the table. Or maybe for some of you, if you're honest, feel like, yeah, I've kind of turned my back on God or stabbed him in the back. One of the most awesome things is that there's no expiration date on God's grace and His love, on His invitation to come and receive His inheritance. But the other awesome thing about this morning is this reminder that we have been called to go tell it. We've been called to be people who go out into the darkness and bring the light. And so this morning, we're going to do as a representation of that is to light the candles. To in the midst of the darkness, we say, we bring the light that will push it back. And the most awesome thing about the light is we sometimes feel like it's really complicated to share and to give. And the truth is, it's really not. It sometimes is as easy as just showing up